Welcome to another episode of The Station Podcast. My name is Adam Longster. I'm joined as always by Samuel Phoebe Mugabe. We both as a Station Podcast endeavour to look at films and media through a curious lens, picking out themes and concepts that we find interesting from them. This week, we are looking at the 1986 musical fantasy film directed by Jim Henson, Labyrinth. Sarah Williams, Jennifer Connelly, was a teenager with a large imagination and a love for fantasy stories, so much so that she enacted her favourite story, The Labyrinth, whenever she could. She was left alone with her fussy infant brother Toby, angered that her stepmother had given her brother one of her favourite teddy bears, a tattered toy called Lancelot. In anger, Sarah called for the goblins to take her brother. They took Toby away and Jareth, played by David Bowie, the king of the goblins, gave her an option. She could take her dreams or spend 13 hours in his kingdom, an ever-changing maze called the Labyrinth. If she was able to get to the castle at the centre, within the specified time, her brother would be spared from becoming a goblin. So, hello everybody and welcome back to the Station Podcast. We are going to be taking another little foray into the wonderful and wacky world of Jim Henson and his magical array of puppets, um, as well as David Bowie, who's obviously not a puppet, he was a, a real human being, um, who's going to be in this story. So we're looking at Labyrinth, which came out in 1986. Uh, it stars Jennifer Connelly um, and David Bowie, and an array of various uh, weird and wacky puppets. So, Adam, I believe this was your first time watching labyrinth it was technically my third time although the first time i was quite young and was a bit freaked out by the concept i think of goblins being able to come into your room and whisk you away to a labyrinth with david bowie and his uh, his you know slightly disturbing um package that is viewable in his tights um and couldn't watch it um but subsequently have grown and become a become an adult and and have have been able to watch it and, and quite enjoyed it um although some bits of it are perhaps a little bit problematic what did you think of it adam this is my second time into the world of sort of like the jim henson sphere and everything and obviously it's a continuation from our our episode on the dark crystal and i think it's our first like voyeur into like the the proper kind of world or craftsmanship of like someone else like like the second time we've looked at like a same director or something and yeah it was it i think it as a an expansion it was it was quite fascinating to see like these characters like you know it's a world that could be quite similar to that of of the dark crystal like you could easily see like the labyrinth appearing in the land of thra you know it's it's yeah i think aesthetically it's very similar isn't it obviously because you've got you know similar or the same people working on on both films so you know aesthetically it does it does look quite the same but then yeah like the goblin army you know jareth's goblin army could pop up quite easily in you know in um in the dark crystal and you know the skeksis and the the mystics wouldn't look out of place wandering through the labyrinth really yeah as you were saying i think i think that, that like there's some of the architecture a bit sort of brutalism as well isn't it like so it's really reeking of like i don't know like 70s and you know that sort of like that aesthetic yeah it's it's i don't know it's 
you know, it's perhaps weirdly like not not necessarily like space age, but obviously that was at the time that was thought of. Oh, this is quite a modern way to build buildings, isn't it? But obviously, you know, we've kind of got this world that's that's meant to be quite old, possibly. Yeah, uh, it's never really, you know, kind of said. But yeah, we have this this labyrinth that you know it looks like it was probably de- yeah it looks like it was designed in the sixties or the seventies. Um, it's you know it's all very grey and you know lots of kind of hard edges and it's just it's just very kind of like it's there and it's. Um, got David Bowie's face in it in a panning shot, which is a, a kind of little bit of foreshadowing that happens seems to happen throughout the film. Is you kind of you'll you know there'll be some rocks will will link line up and and there he will be like staring at you, and then the camera will pan and they they're just rocks again. What do you think having you know, kind of puppets in this, which is you know it's this is quite a the sort of storyline is is quite linear. It's it's a kind of hero's journey, and we've seen you know in this, which is different to the Dark Crystals, we have real people in as well. So we've got kind of live action and puppets happening at the same time. What advantages do you think you know the the kind of puppets and the puppet world that um, Sarah travels into? What, what do you think that kind of adds to the the aesthetic or the the kind of film as a whole? I think in this more than the Dark Crystal, I suppose it shows the contrast of the two worlds. You see that kind of different stepping into a new land, um, a kind of a new world, as it were. I think the Dark Crystal, it's kind of proposed as this is a different world. So it's like, oh, well, you don't have a contrast to humans. Like, there's no humans in that story. So when you see David Bowie, when you see Sarah, you see the parents and everything, you understand that there's oh, these weird creatures are not normal in this world. They are, and, and even as we see throughout Sarah's room herself, we see, like, we see uh, Hoggle, we see the David Bowie sort of model that's, like, the Goblin King model in there. We see, like, her reading uh, The Wizard of Oz, Snow White and Seven Dwarves, Where the Wild Things Are. So we see these kind of stories in there as well, and that sort of gives us a link to this this kind of fantasy realm. Like, oh well, it's it's almost like a Hans Christian Andersen. That book's in there mm. too. Like it's it's a it's a kind of a delving into that sort of classical fantasy. You can definitely tell that, and you can definitely because it has a very similar through line that those stories have. You know of. A yeah. young, a young woman, kind of being transferred, and and you know, suddenly appearing in this world and having to come to terms with like, oh, there's a, a magical land and there's these creatures. But there's an interesting thing, isn't there? That which you talked about before is that she, it's almost like she in like the kind of normal world is almost like living, or or kind of living her life in a way that she's in a fantasy land. So like one of the examples is she, her dad has i guess like remarried so she's she's got a stepmother um and she kind of acts like her stepmother's being very unreasonable and it's like a wicked stepmother and i think there's a line almost where her stepmother is like oh she treats me like a wicked stepmother even though she's she's not really being particularly nasty to her she, she's not making her go and scrub any floors or not letting her go to balls or anything like she's almost in like encouraging her to have a social life to go out and, and meet people um and it's like she's very she, reasonable isn't she yeah she's the reasonable stepmother but it's like that she's kind of gone, well, this is what a stepmother's like. They're wicked. You know, they've always been wicked. That's what fairy tales tell me. So I've got a stepmother. Well, I'm going to treat her like that, even though it's wildly out of proportion. You know, and there's obviously the kind of like, well, she's a teenager. So, you know, it's going to be like teen angst as well. But I'm going to treat her wildly out of proportion to her actions because that's what I should do. Because that's what the books tell me to do. I mean, Sarah kind of has like what seems like quite an inflated opinion about herself, you know, 
decrying like oh i'm so beautiful why am i subjected to this you know it's like skullduggery and, and poverty why am i doing it like you know why do i have to look after my you know my infant you know it's <laughs> like brother. but then that's that's just like and a bit of like yeah there's that but it's just a bit of being a teenager as well isn't there yeah. of like what well, everything's so unfair to me i didn't ask to be born etc etc which i think everyone who as you know has, has kind of had those sort of why you know why should i have to empty the dishwasher that was always my thing why should i have to empty the dishwasher it's not fair it, it probably was fair looking looking back in hindsight um <laughs> i was gonna say like the, the whole story is kind of a story of maturities we've, we've kind of like examined it a little bit it seems to be a story where Sarah seems to be really realizing some like like life lessons, some very basic life lessons. Like you know, you've got to rely on people. You've got to look and sometimes and, and know that someone's going to be you know that they have the capacity to be a great friend. Um, that you can't take small pieces of advices you know for for granted. You know, you've got to make a a gesture to save someone. And a big one seems to be life's unfair. There's, you know, the, quite a lot of the characters in the labyrinth seem to say to her when she's, well, that, that's that's really unfair. Well, that's life. And then I think she even kind of starts saying it as well. And I'm just kind of, I don't know, like realizing some, sometimes life is unfair. You know, it's not it's not as simple as is just like, you know, you do a good thing and, and a good thing happens to you. It, it can be it can be unfair. You know, it's not always logical and linear sort of like that i mean she's kind of surrounded by what seems like a very good life you know she lives in a, a very big house she's um, got a nice house like her parents have a nice house like, there's a big house she's got a dog um she's obviously allowed to you know i think it's kind of shown that she's quite into like theater and she, there's quite a lot of playbills so she's obviously got starring roles in in various different productions possibly at school you know but yeah she's something that she wants she wants kind of more or she she feels like she deserves her life to to be slightly different in some way yeah she did like almost this sort of princess mentality she is very much like you know i i deserve to have all these really nice things like again when uh, one of her bears lancelot is you almost like seemed like maybe given to one of the children or you know toby the young little child her brother has gone and maybe gotten it and she's she throws a paddy fit because like you know he he's had her bear and it's out of place and everything so she's really i don't know she's quite quite bratty and, and and stuck up in this kind of world maybe quite privileged you could say mm, possibly and then yeah it's kind of there is there is this maybe an undercurrent theme of of it being a bit of a kind of coming of age story of, of her kind of growing growing out of that like as we said but you know it's kind of material things and there's a scene quite a bit in, you know near the end of the film where she's she's kind of been tricked into kind of forgetting why she's meant to be in the labyrinth by, by eating this eating a fruit and and it kind of makes her makes her sort of forget and she's kind of transported back to like a weird version of her room and there's this kind of old goblin woman who's who's given her all her kind of precious items and things and saying oh like you need this this is important this is important and she's kind of oh no, this is all just junk like i, I need to find toby and then it, right at the end of the film we see her starting to throw away those things and kind of so there is that yeah, I do. It's weird. Like, it's, is it a kind of rejection of materialism, or is it more a rejection of like things that were important when you were a child, and now you're kind of realizing, well, actually, there's other things that are important because the catalyst of why Toby is taken is because he's taken this bear or been given this bear, and she tells the goblins to come and get him. Yeah, it never seems to be quite clear with like what really the message is in that sense of like it's, it's quite an ambiguous message. It does, you know, it's just generally like a, a good wholesome message of like you know 
don't hold on to things too much, you know, because that's generally bad, you know. <laughs> don't be so possessive over yeah, things. Yeah, and then we've, you know, we've got that interlinked with this like very fairy tale story of of someone, you know, crossing into fairy to to bring someone back out of it which happens in a lot of you know fairy tales and folklore um and then being pitted up against this seemingly all-powerful kind of you know goblin king and having to you know kind of um work your way through his his labyrinth and and you know solve and kind of overcome various challenges and there's you know the, the kind of thing of the hero story of you know getting help and you know having having kind of helpers along the way which which kind of happens with a befriending um you know hoggle and ludo and sididimus and then kind of being able to help her i suppose that brings us on to like david bowie's character in it you know obviously he being like more of a, a human you know and a singing human at that you know obviously there's lots of songs like spruced into this it is almost like a musical in some ways the way that we kind of maybe detract from the story to then start talking about and start singing about i don't know um a general sort of ideas about magic you know what is that song Ma- dance magic dance what are, yeah magic dance yeah the magic dance yeah. that one it, it dance magic dance the, yeah like the songs obviously they're a key point of it but i just don't think the lyrical content really i don't know adds to the story and sort of inflames it with any kind of i don't know um mm. like poignancy or messages that just seem like runoff that david bowie was like oh well we'll just check that one in there you know it didn't really seem just like this one. but then it's that thing of like if it you know it's not a musical it's a song that has like some songs happen within the world but it's not a musical but like you know when we're watching a musical we know that people are going to just start singing and dancing so it's quite odd when a film that isn't a musical has that happening in it is it's like is that actually happening or is it just something that we're seeing but the characters does that kind of make sense aren't necessarily experiencing that in the way that we as the viewer are seeing it it's more I don't like something that's happening or kind of metaphorical of, of what's happening. I don't know if that's the case that's happening in particularly in this one, but it's it's an interesting dynamic when you kind of bring in well how in the in the way of the story, how are these songs happening, you know? Would would the goblins start organically singing about, you know, dance magic dance and yeah. like having this guffaw like of like cuz I mean, if we think that song, it does start with him kind of like asking them questions and then they sort of start answering. And then from that, it kind of goes into a song. But you, we've got kind of like the music going on in the background. Um, but I suppose the questions that he's asking, I mean, they're like nonsensical, like, who's the babe? What? what the, like, do you remind me of the babe? Yeah. Like the one with the power. But then, you know, is it is it talking about the baby that he's kidnapped that he's, I think, and I, I think it's kind of impl- implied that it's it's going to become the next Jareth, the next Goblin King, because he, he says, oh, I'm going to call you Jareth, you've got the same eyes as me. And he's obviously very bothered about it being taken away from him. Uh, yeah, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, you know, maybe him at one point was a babe with the power. But again, I do I do think it's very sort of loose and like, you know, it, it's not... <laughs> this, I, I, it's definitely not direct. Yeah, it's not like, I don't know, Les Miserables, where like, we're going to sing what's happening and this is it's all very relevant to the story because you know it's all going to be it's all going to be sang like even even just the little words and the little conversations it will be sang um like at the end when we're in that sort of relativity like painting you know um or the kind of like the drawing mm. that we've seen in, in sarah's room as the poster and she at the end it's like i don't know the battleground of like her and and, and you know jared 
and and she, he's like singing this song of like it seems like quite a almost like a, a sort of crooning love like you know for lost love kind of thing and he's like i could see it in your eyes you're lying to me they lie you know it's like what what is- <laughs> yeah it's it's quite odd isn't it that last one when he's kind of i think he's like walking below her quite a lot on in the kind of the staircases and stuff like he's clinging to the bottom of them almost like walking along as she's kind of walking up the front and then kind of comes over the top of one quite i don't know like quite magically just sort of like flies over um and this yeah in, in relativity which is a, it's just a strange picture to have up on your wall but it kind of works i guess for the the kind of final or one of the uh, the penultimate kind of battleground of, of her trying to i mean trying to get as a world it's obviously doesn't really seem to operate on logic or or any kind of a degree of reason as we mentioned there's kind of some um like logic puzzles that are kind of spruced in it maybe some some lessons for to younger viewers of like oh well th- there's this concept or th- uh, this in in the kind of world. we have the the classic conundrum between the two doors like the two uh, doormen guarding the doors and obviously you have to ask one of them um sort of a question and one of them is guarding a really good door the other ones i know it's like heaven and hell is usually a good um, mm. comparison of like but one of them will always lie so she obviously thinks she she sort of solved it, and she, I think she has because obviously that's the the answer. Yeah, to there's a there's a logical way to solve it, and it <laughs> it's one of those things. Whenever I try and work it out, my brain just goes, Mm-mm, "No, thank you, don't do that." But I yeah, I she kind of explains how she's done it, and you're like, "Yeah, no, that that definitely sounds right." Um, but in this world, I mean, I, I mean, we never know what's behind the other door. So like, but she falls into a pit of of kind of hands that are, they're kind of like, "Oh, we can take you up or down." We're like helping hands. And she decides to go down because she's pointed down, but I, I don't. It's kind of a bit random because she, technically she's maybe pointed up as well. Like if you're a, if you're a person, you know, kind of falling down a pit, you're kind of in both ways pointed up and down. You you're not pointed to the sides. What would be kind of a cool thing is if they like maybe panned out from there, see like this uh, world of hands, like and it like shifted around, like the whole tunnel of it, like and we didn't know which way mm. was up. That would be kind of an interesting dynamic because then we'd have a reason for her being like, oh, up or down. But we've seen her go down. She would want to be up, but she says, oh well, I'll go down. It's like I'll just keep I'll keep going down. Yeah, but they're quite interesting aren't they? because the way that they're like acted these hands, so they're just all the kind of whole wall of this pit is hands but when they speak they will kind of make faces various different and... hands will form together to make a face and a mouth and move and like i think that's just really cool when you're watching it it's one of the kind of things that i was like well, that's really like amazing like and i think the the strong one of the strongest points of this film is is the aesthetics is the world that jim henson has has been involved in creating in in labyrinth and it's, just, and it's the same with the dark crystal which we kind of said is like you just want to wander around this world really and and kind of see all the weird things like the moss that has eyes like what is with that that's that's strange like just that in itself is really weird i i think that's one of the core strengths of like a jim henson film as i've seen so far it's the set design it's the kind of characters and the creatures and the development that's gone into to crafting these creatures obviously it's the it is the collaboration with him and brian frond it's not just himself but the way that the worlds are depicted, like the goblin, uh, the goblin kingdom, like itself, like the, the this little site, like goblin city, sorry, and like it looks magical, fantastic, like you know, it, there's so much creativity, it's brimming, like they've gone. And bit- they're like the goblin knights as well. Look, 
fantastic. Just the kind of like that, the way their armor is, and their kind of you know the the with little steeds, and the kind of way that they, and they're very amazing. You know the kind of goblins the way when they'll get hit, the way that like fly across the room, and you know all the kind of um, gymnastics and stuff that they've obviously gone into the kind of choreography and stuff is is quite quite impressive. In and the fight scenes. And I was saying to Sam about actually Hoggle is is part animatronic and part like obviously they got a, uh, an actor with dwarfism to kind of to do the the part because it's quite quite short mm. uh hoggle is obviously half a human size but like one one half is like human and like real legs the other is like animatronic and puppetry like so they had to mouth at the same time they had to have many instances where they act that out with the actor and like have that go back and forth and when you think about like that detail i took that for granted when you watch it you're like ah well you know it's there's some sort of trickery but when you see it like in action you're like wow that's that's a lot of effort like that is a, you know and i guess it's in that time that like you know nowadays they might just be like we'll just cgi the face on you know yeah. whereas you, we know from from the from the start sequence and how bad the owl looks we know how cgi looked back then you know if you wanted to make something look realistic you went with animatronics and and suits and stuff like that but i think you know like it's when you look at the lord of the rings compared to like the new hobbit trilogy the lord of the rings still looks really good and most of the orcs and goblins and things like that are people in suits you know whereas in the hobbit it's all it's all pretty much cgi and that already looks it just looks unreal whereas you know you, you look at um like lurts or or um gothmog and you think well yeah no like that that's what an orc would look like if 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 an orc was a real thing because it because it's the way it's kind of been done it looks real yeah and that's the 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 core element of these films is that they because they're there because the tangible like properties they're actually like suits and and they're made out of real feathers it looks like a real world like clearly like when you look off in the distance and there's the goblin city and it's this little like little clay um little sort of structure and it looks like because it's it looks three-dimensional it looks tangible it doesn't look like it's generated i mean there is a bit of cgi Mm. in this besides from like the terrible opening owl scene um and uh, which why like you don't need to have or you just use a real owl i mean it was they're quite easy to train it was one of the most preliminary kind of uh, cgi i think that was the first creature that was ever on like anything that you know properly like this is a first cgi creature and it probably blew people's minds back then they're like oh my god like this is the future like ah but I suppose now, if you look at it, it looks really haphazard. Like obviously, you got some of the like the like the black screen of like where the reflection is supposed to be, is overlapping. Like the actual, it looks really like it looks really cheap. But yeah. and that's why I said like it it ages really badly. Like CGI doesn't stay good or look you know cutting. It's like computers; they go out of date so quickly because it's always being like improved on. But I think with like animatronic animatronics and like prosthetics, like there's a point where it just it's real like it looks real enough that you just kind of like yeah no that's that's what that would be like because hoggle looks really you know he looks fantastic like obviously it's it's kind of aesthetically fits in with the world but you you kind of you forget that it's someone in a in a suit with an animatronic head when you kind of like see him acting with like sarah or jareth you can see the effort that kind of goes into it as well as i say it's sort of palpable you can really tell that there was a lot that 
there to try and craft that and make it like a you know we've got hundreds of years of people who made suits and made you know costumes and have designed things to make them look that illusion and i think we appreciate that when you go to see a classic ballet you don't believe that they're you know swan lake you don't believe that they're actually swans but it's it's the way that they you know use their bodies to kind of you know portray these uh, these kind of elegant creatures that's what we, we can suspend it just for that because it's like wow that is incredible but yeah when you see like a mm. ch- cheap lazy sort of i wouldn't say it's lazy but it, it looks phony it looks fake you know it's like it don't p- try and pretend it doesn't you know it looks real and it can look quite like just out of place compared to like everything else that's that's necessarily like in the in the film that's you know see not cgi so it, it it's kind of aged to a certain level and it still looks good whereas the cgi just like sticks out really doesn't it yeah definitely um it's definitely like you know if we go back to the the kind of initial scene where you're kind of like got sarah like not quite saying the right words to to have the sort of baby sort of stolen he's like crying in the crib with all these kind of creatures popping out around him i'm just like yeah well that's like mgmt definitely watched this didn't they and we're like oh yeah let's do that but the music video what do you mean? Like like kids. Well, kids, it's like a baby crying in a cart oh. with all these like monsters around it. And you're just like, that's got to be like the inspiration for that, surely. Like, I've not Googled it, but I'm just like, that, there's definitely like, if even if it was not like intentional, like they w- must have seen this film and, and gone. I think this must have served as an inspiration for a lot of those of the, of those kind of art and artists to go on to to make things around that because I like I think of like Pan's Labyrinth maybe as like a indirect kind of cause relation because it's it's a very similar story again a girl kind of goes into a magical land um, and it's kind of like but it's more a representation of the world that she lives in and an escape like as I say that's a more sort of faithful but it seems like obviously a labyrinth is an it core crux. Uh, maybe it's not a unicron sort of labyrinth as we see here where it's kind of uh, tessellating and oscillating and kind of doesn't really make sense mm. but yeah it, it, there's something about that influence in itself like of I, I don't know maybe seeing it you know like a, a world like this realized because it is it is depthy sort of you know as i say some of the visuals are fantastic you know something like you know you'd see in like a you know i don't know like a very surrealist kind of art film like that golem you know the kind of golem that attacks them that's kind of being controlled but everything's being like controlled by little goblins isn't this a huge like metal kind of creation and and they end up knocking its head off and there's this tiny little goblin inside it that's that's kind of pulling all these levers and stuff it looks amazing or when they're getting chased down the uh the kind of tunnel under the under the labyrinth by the the cleaners as they're called which is this this kind of it's like an advancing wall of spikes and then as it goes past them there's just two little kind of or three little goblins like you know kind of moving it along just kind of driving it um which i think is really really funny because then the goblins in themselves look quite like they don't look particularly scary they're very small all certain certain of them are very small aren't they almost like little muppet kind of creatures they're a bit silly most of them look very unassuming kind of like i don't know um you could just you could take them like you could just kick them and they're like flying across the room as goblins go they're more like imps they're more like you know small creatures that you probably think oh well they're not really you know they couldn't really do any damage goblins you usually think it a little bit bigger a little bit tougher a little bit meaner you know which there is there's like the, there's the kind of bigger ones isn't there which are obviously like i think are, are more people in suits um which you know like the kind of goblin knights are quite a bit bigger um which have like it's another thing of like the world being like very um 
like anim, 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 animalistic and very you know kind of anima is like on their lancers they have creatures that kind of bite instead yeah. of like having blades or stuff they have these like little nipping kind of creatures which is which is quite interesting it's a very kind of odd concept i think yeah definitely yeah so i think in conclusion you know i think someone who enjoys like david bowie's music um the the kind of songs in it although they are very silly um this you know there's some whimsy there that i think i i quite the kind of whimsical part of me really enjoys and as i think we said with with all of you know henson stuff it's like the aesthetics of the world are just being so alive and oh kind of wonderful you just want to get lost in it you know, want to get lost in the labyrinth and not have like a ticking clock to save your you know your brother and just kind of have a little wander around and get to know anyone um but what do you think what did you what's your takeaway adam Again, the closest thing I could compare it to is probably the Dark Crystal, and I I do think this is a bit more. It's a bit more jovial. It's a bit more comical, and I do think that unfortunately lends it to being a bit. I can I can't take this. That was the problem, as I say, with like the Dark Crystal. It was a bit more serious and and verged into sort of like as I said, sort of deep lore, um, which again, actually in retrospect, maybe was a better strength of it because this is takes a bit more of as i say the music is is a bit bouncier it, it kind of um it definitely reeks of like that 70s 80s sort of vibe and you definitely kind of I, I mean in some ways it is a bit of a, a, dis, a disjunction like for me it kind of takes me out of the experience every time i hear it it's like oh right mm. okay we're having a, a musical segment you know here and it's interesting though because this was four years later than the dark crystal yeah so it's like were they like we like the dark crystal but need some more music you know there's not enough music in the dark crystal it's too serious like jim like put some music in it and we'll make we'll make something similar you know we'll we'll green light that like yeah it's funny isn't it how they were like their top picks for musicians were like oh well let's get you know michael jackson sting you know david barry some of the three of the most popular music you know popular music artists of like all time you know super you know big pop artists yeah let's just put the let's intermix them in there let's just put them in there. yeah so i do think that to me it, it doesn't it's, feel it's a, it's odd isn't it because like david bowie's not necessarily like a fantastic actor but the part doesn't necessarily need him to be a fantastic actor it's just him being very david bowie and it to me it kind of works mm. Yeah, it, it's it, it's um, almost like you've it, it's harping on David Bowie as a as a kind of like a character. I think like you know it's using his fame to kind of like which I guess is, but that was kind of like his a big thing of wasn't it was all these you know like the Thin White Duke and you know like Ziggy Stardust and all these kind of characters and he almost seems to create through his music that it kind of that kind of like lends itself to his aesthetic. I think quite a bit of of this kind of thing that he creates that's not quite David Bowie. Like the star man, the. I think you'd have to be quite a big David Bowie phone to like go into this kind of uh, I don't know, completely sort of dry and raw, and be like, yeah, you know, on board, David Bowie. If you've watched Flight of the Concords, if anyone out there's watched Flight of the Concords, is it does they do like a David Bowie episode, and one of I think it's uh, Jermaine Clements plays Bowie in it, um, and comes to the other the other Concord Brett, but he comes in various different like David Bowie outfits and one of them is he's like i'm david bowie from from like labyrinth and he's kind of dressed <laughs> dressed in the sort of labyrinth david bowie so it's like one of the the personas that they obviously use to kind of represent bowie yeah I, I, as i say to me that is like definitely it it's 
and as we kind of talked before, it seems a deliberate choice to put him in the, an outfit that's as, as maybe as gratuitous as it is in certain areas. As we mentioned, his uh, looming package in a lot of shots where we're near Hoggle's face and we're seeing his package just sort of like enter the frame. Um, and, and as we sort of said as well, David Bowie was maybe a bit opposed to that. He said, maybe this is a bit, you know, what kind of audience are you going for? And they were a bit like, eh, well... Is this, isn't this isn't this supposed to be a kid's film? Like, would someone please think of the children? Yeah, and, and, and they seem to be like, what's... more quite ardent on, like, you know, this is the, this is the you know, this very skin-tight <laughs> outfit is like, you know... We've made an aesthetic choice and we're sticking with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing, like... <laughs> Like, your displeasure has been noted. We're not going to do anything about it, but exactly. it's been noted. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some, there's some, to me, just some, like, I don't know, very kind of maybe gimmicky aspects to it, which, as I say, that's why I enjoyed The Dark Crystal, because it was a bit more, it took itself seriously a little bit, and that actually lent to it being a bit better of a story, because mm. then it, it doesn't detract with these kind of, like, I don't know, forays into to musicals and kind of music. I mean, it's, it's fine, because it's, like, it's, it's some of it's, like, a bit bouncy and fun and whatever, and you can kind of get it, but it's, like, it's a bit it's a bit odd as it yeah it's like a soundtrack especially if you hear at the beginning it's a bit like it starts like playing up and you're like oh guys this is this reeks this reeks of like you know like you're putting it in there to i don't know to spruce it up sort of thing yeah i think that probably probably covers anything doesn't it so if you've enjoyed this episode why not subscribe to us on apple podcasts or spotify or yeah we'll see you next time so it's the station signing off i saw my baby What I do? Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Station Podcast. If you have any thoughts about the film or what we've discussed today, please be sure to let us know at our Facebook and Instagram, as well as if you want to keep up to date with what we post and our schedules. Thank you.